Our lesson today out of the book of Micah, chapter 6. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Starting in verse 1, well, actually going back to chapter 1, verse 1, a little review. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jophan, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria, meaning northern Israel, and Jerusalem, meaning Judah in the south. And uh, so just on our timeline, that's all the way from King David all the way down the line, and he's prophesying during Hezekiah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and it's matching up with the last days of the northern tribes of Israel, uh, last King Hoshea. Uh, obviously where he's talking in, 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 in this chapter, we'll see, uh, they're still there, King of the north, Israel's still there. So now to our chapter. Just in reference to how far down the line it is in history, we get to chapter 6, verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O ye mountains, the Lord's complaint, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. So again, northern Israel, the northern tribes of Israel are still there. He's talking to Israel. And he's saying, let's, let's, uh, let's go before the, let's go before a judge. Let the mountains be our judge. Bring your case before. Right? So you get your lawyer, and i and, and God's saying he's gonna defend himself, and so you guys are complaining. Well, what's your complaint? What's your problem? Bring it before the mountains. Let them testify. They've seen it all. They've been there since the beginning of time. So again, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hears hear it. Let the mountains hear your complaint. And the Lord has a complaint as well. I mean, you got to sue me, I'm going to sue you back. You're going to complain, well, I want to let you know my concerns. I'm going to let you know my complaint as well. He has a complaint against his people. My people, verse 3, my people, what have I done to you that you're suing me? What have I done to you that you're complaining about me? How have I wearied you? Go ahead, testify. Bring your testimony before the mountains. Bring it before the courts. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. This is the reason we went back. I wanted to show you where it is in history. He's referring back, hey, look what I've done for you. Remember I brought you Moses? I brought you Aaron? I brought you Miriam? Well, that was a thousand years ago. And God's still bringing that up as a significant event. His deliverance of us out of Egypt should be so significant for them that a thousand years later, they should still remember. How many generations is that? I don't know. That's a lot of generations. I don't know how many years a generation is. It would be pretty easy to figure out if you knew how long a generation is. But that's a lot of generations. No, a generation is more than 100 years. A generation is 40 years or 7 years. 40 years? For a 40 year generation? So again, how many is that in a thousand? Right? How many times does 40 go into a thousand years? And I'm estimating about a thousand years. Right? About 15 generations? I think more than that. Yeah. But whatever the case, a long time, right? So in other words, he's expecting them to remember, even though he's talking about 
what happened to their great, 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 whatever grandparents, right? But it still was so significant that he refers back to it. And he refers back to the deliverance out of Egypt over and over and over again throughout the Bible. That's why we remember it at Passover every year. That's why we celebrate Passover every year, to be reminded and not forget what God did in establishing the nation of Israel, in bringing us out of bondage. Because the lessons in Passover apply to us still today. God's deliverance out of Egypt still applies to how to be delivered out of all types of bondages that we experience in our day and age. For us personally, individually, corporately as a congregation, corporately as a nation, it still applies to us today. And so God brings that back. In God's court and God's judgment, he's going to bring that back. Look at what I've done. I've delivered you by my mighty hand. I did something for you you could not do on your own. I sent you Moses, Arian, and Miriam. And that's pretty good. I imagine that uh, Jacobed and, and Amron are just compelling. I mean, just, just so proud of, uh, you know, Micah, God saying through Micah, remember Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, and, and Aaron. Three children from one family. I mean, their parents, they must have done some job there, right? And they're mentioned out of all the people that God could have mentioned to, to, in Micah's generation, for him to mention those three. Not just Moses, but mentions Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Amazing. Three godly children coming out of one family. Especially at that day and age under those circumstances. And the influence they had. And so God's putting Aaron and Miriam on equal level there with Moses. Which is good, and they should be. And if God could do that through Moses and Aaron and Miriam, he could do that through every one of us. God's calling to use each one of us in being a blessing, in being uh, ministers to people, in helping people be delivered from their bondages, in leading them to the Lord, in leading them in God's path, in leading them in the way everlasting. And so he refers us back. And so it's good for us to remember. It's good for us to remember today, and it's good for us to remember every Passover and throughout our lives. Anytime you start complaining, start to get worrying and fearful, God says, well, what's your complaint? i got a complaint with you. You forgot how I delivered you. Forget what I've done for you. How I sent my son, how I came and worked deliverance in your behalf. How his blood has been placed over the doorpost as, as his blood has been our salvation. As he's been our sacrifice. Look at what I've done for you in your life. And even in generations past, to bring you to this day. Look at God's mighty hand. Even after the Egyptians and the Hamans and the Nazis and all down the ages, we are still here today. God says, look at what I've done. What are you complaining about? What complaint can you possibly have against me? I've got a complaint against you. He's too good to us. Verse 5, my people, remember... What Bala, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. And so when we get worrying, when we get complaining, when we start thinking, God, where are you? God, it's not fair. It's not right. I did what was right. How come you're not blessing me like you promised? How come you're not blessing me like others are blessed? How come they got wonderful testimonies, and how come I'm not seeing it in my life? How come I'm going through this struggle? How come I'm going through this sickness? How come I'm going through this calamity? 
How come I don't have children like Moses, Miriam, and Aaron? Maybe we haven't experienced what Amram and Jacobet have experienced either. So he says, remember, when Balak king of Moab counseled, this is when we were going through the wilderness, early after the Red Sea parted, well, not necessarily shortly, but within a generation, right? Within the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And the king, Balak king of Moab, calls upon Balaam, son of Beor, to come and curse Israel. I'll pay you lots of money. Come and curse them. And at first, Balaam goes and prays, and the Lord says, don't go. And so he tells the messengers that from, from, uh, from Balak, I can't go. God said, don't go. So he sends more princes with him, to him, and says, I'll give you all his money. How dare you say no? So he goes and prays again. Well, when God says no, you don't have to pray again. Then God says, well, if they show up in the morning, you can go, but you're going to say what I tell you to say. Well, it seems that they didn't show up in the morning, but he went anyway. And God wasn't happy. And as he's going along, that's where the story where the donkey's riding on his donkey, and an angel of the Lord appears before him, and he doesn't see it, but the donkey sees it. The donkey slams him against the wall, and he uh, beats the donkey. I think he does it another time, and then a third time, the donkey goes down on his, on his belly, refuses to move, and he beats the donkey again. And God has the donkey speak. Why are you beating me? And then his eyes are opened and he sees the angel of the Lord standing there with his sword drawn. And the angel of the Lord says, I'm not, God's not happy with you. You should not have God. He says, okay, well, if you don't want me to go, then I won't go. If you don't want me to go. How many warnings do I have to go? How many times do I have to tell you no? If you don't want me to go. And so the Lord says, go ahead, go, but you're going to say what I want you to say. God will let us do what we want to do. God gives us the free will. Balaam wanted to go. He said, go, but you're going to say what I say. Tell you to say. And so he goes, and Balak sets up an altar for him, and he offers seven rams and seven bulls. And he says, curse them. And he gives four prophecies. And part of the first one says, he took up this is out of the book of Numbers. And this story is written in it's three chapters in the book of Numbers. It's a long story. And it's written about or mentioned in eight different books of the Bible. Micah is one of them. Numbers is another one. Eight different books. Revelation, other places. He took up this oracle. Bala, king of Moab, has brought me to Aram. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And so Balak says, you're blessing them. How can you do that? And he takes them to another place. So he doesn't see as many of them. So he's not so intimidated by how big they are. He offers another seven rams and another seven bulls. And the second prophecy, a portion of it. Chapter 23, verse, Numbers, chapter 23, verse 21. 
He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. That's significant. We're going to come back to that. God, God, you cannot denounce whom God has blessed. You cannot curse whom God has not cursed. There's no iniquity in Jacob, no wickedness in Israel. God is with him. And the king, the shout of the king, is among them. And so he takes them to another portion, another place where you can see even less of them. And he offers another seven rams, another seven bulls. He prophesies again, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Similar to the what God said about Abraham. Blessed is those that bless you. Cursed are those who curse you. And we've seen that over the ages. Blessings come to those who bless God's people. And curses to those who try to destroy God's people. And then he gives a fourth prophecy. And in this one, chapter 10, 24, Numbers, verse 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall arise out of Israel. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion. The Messianic prophecy. This is how the, the wise men from the east knew to follow a star and come all the way to Bethlehem. Because of this prophecy given by Balaam, who was trying to get paid to curse Israel at the command of Balak, who was trying to destroy Israel. And God turned his cursing into blessing and even gives us a powerful messianic prophecy. As remembered in nativity scenes all around the world. God can speak out of a donkey. God can even speak out of a Balaam. When God's people are fearing the Lord. And doing what is right in his sight. He says, I see him, but not now. Behold him, talking about the Messiah. Not yet. Not near yet. In Balaam's time, the Messiah was going to come. Scepter, throne, King shall arise out of Israel and have dominion. Yes, worldwide dominion. Deuteronomy tells us a little bit more about this story. Chapter 23, verse 5. Well, yeah, okay. The Lord God would not listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. So he turned the curse into a blessing because the Lord loves us. The Lord loves his people. He defended us. Spoke through Balaam. Balaam wasn't done. He went back his way. I don't know if he got paid by Balak or not. Balak goes back to his home. 
And Balaam comes up with another plot. I can't curse Israel because they are blessed by God because there is no iniquity in Israel. But if I can get them to sin, then they will be cursed themselves. And he goes about working out that plan. And he gets the women of Moab to go and mingle among the men of Israel to throw a party, throw a feast, bring in their gods, worship their gods, sacrifice to their gods, and eat the food from the sacrifice to those gods, and commit adultery with those women. The women listen to Balaam, Moab puts in the plan, they go, and Israel falls for it, and a plague breaks out in Israel. In Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, it says, Women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Moses calls the leaders to come together and to repent and to take out all those who have fallen, all those who have sinned, and cleanse the camp. A man comes boldly with a woman of Moab, goes right before them and goes right into the tent with her. Aaron's son Phineas grabs a spear and thrusts it through both of them at one time. And the plague stops. They had the blessings of the Lord when they were following the Lord. This is serious. Back to Micah, chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a year old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sin? They're complaining against the Lord. Lord, you demand too much. You ask too much. You ask us to sacrifice. We give 10,000. What does it take to please you? Burnt offerings and thank offerings. We even give our firstborn for our sin. Is that what you want, God? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. God's not looking for burnt offerings. God's not looking for sacrifices. God's not looking for sin offerings because God's not looking for sin. not the sacrifice of his son that the Lord loves. It breaks his heart that our rebellion has caused the death of God. Not sinning and asking forgiveness and sinning and asking forgiveness, sinning and asking forgiveness. That's not God's plan for us. 
That's not God's desire for us. God's plan is to do right the first time. He has shown us what is good. He showed us what he requires. Justice. Doing what is just. Doing what is right. Doing what is expected. Doing what the word of the Lord says. Do justice. Love mercy. Love the mercy that God has shown us. Appreciate the mercy that God has given to us. And show mercy to those who are repentant. Love and forgiveness to the sinners. And being merciful to them. In their repentance. Showing mercy. Loving mercy. Loving to give mercy. Powerful story. Corey Tenboom. One of the family righteous among the nation, helping protect Jewish people during the Holocaust. They were caught and sent to a concentration camp. Her sister, faithful, trusting the Lord, beaten by a soldier. And that night, Corey was so angry, filled with hate. And her sister, her name is leaving me right now, left me. <laughs> he said, uh, Corey, don't hate. That poor soldier must be hurting. He said, how can you say he's hurting? We're hurting. We don't have any food. You're beaten to a pulp. Our father has been killed by them dead. Thrown to a concentration camp as well. Here we are, sick and hurting. What they're doing to everyone, and he's the one that's hurting? She said, we have the Lord. We have hope. We have faith. We have trust. We have a promise of everlasting life. We have forgiveness. He has no peace. He must be hurting so much inside that he could do this to us. She loved mercy. Now, loving mercy doesn't mean excusing sin. Loving mercy doesn't mean we allow people to beat us up. It's an attitude. She loved mercy. Corey's sister died in that concentration camp. Corey was miraculously delivered. And everyone was being killed. So now they missed up her name or something, they let her go. She went around the world testifying and telling the story of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. And in one of the places where she was speaking, that very soldier that beat up her sister was there in the audience and came up to her and said, I was in that concentration camp also. I did horrible things there. God has forgiven me. Can you forgive me as well? Corey recognized it. And she struggled with it. 
and she reached out her hand and said, I forgive you. Loving mercy. What God wants of us. Do justice. Loving mercy. And walking humbly with our God. Those three things. Walking humbly with our God. Dependent on Him. Trusting Him. Believing in Him. Acknowledging at all times with our words, with our thoughts, with our attitude. He is God. We are not. Walking before Him. Walking under Him. Under His presence. And by His power. Walk humbly, love mercy, and to do what's right. Three simple things. That's what He wants. He doesn't want sacrifices. He doesn't want the blood of rams and of goats. He doesn't want us to have to continually call upon the sacrifice of the Messiah in our behalf. Now how do we do that? How do we do justly? How do we change? Because we're not born doing justly. We're certainly not born loving mercy. And we're certainly not born walking humbly. Even the shyest, most insecure person is proud. Humbleness is a whole lot different than insecurity. Humbleness is a hard action. It's hard acknowledgement. Even an insecure person who says, oh, poor me, no one loves me. That's not humbleness. That's pride. They don't love me. They don't care about me. They didn't hire me. I can't do that. I don't deserve that anyway. It's a joke. How many uh, Jewish mothers does it take to change the light bulb? None. Don't worry. All right, I'll just sit here in the dark. <laughs> That's not humbleness. Humbleness is dependence on God. Acknowledgement that He is responsible for all things and everything that we can do. Our breath, our thoughts, our actions are all because of Him. He delivered us out of Egypt. He delivered us out of bondage. We could not get out on our own. He gets all the honor and all the glory for everything. That's humbleness. That's not natural. So how do we do these three things that are totally not natural to us in our carnal nature, in our state that we're born in? By surrendering to the Lord. Accepting His death in our behalf. Accepting the death that He has already killed our carnal nature. Accept the sacrifice that's already been done for us. But he's not looking for sacrifices from us. He's already provided the sacrifice. Passover lamb has already been slain. Accept his forgiveness. Confess the sin. And then accept his Holy Spirit. Accept his power. Accept his transformation. It's not trying harder. It's depending on him more. 
And even that, he'll give us more dependence if we ask for it. Lord, give me more dependence on you. Give me more trust in you. Give me more faith. And he'll give it. And as we are filled with his spirit and empowered by him, he transforms us and changes us so that by his grace, by his power, by his spirit living in us, we do do justly. We're able to love, to be merciful. And we are able to walk humbly before God. By his power, by his strength. Every moment of every day throughout our lives. Depending on him. And then as we are doing justice and loving mercy, it's easy to say, look at how good I'm doing. And we've stopped walking humbly before our God. Walking humbly, dependent on Him. Everything we do, if we walk too justly, if we love mercy, it's because of Him and only Him. Nothing. We never get credit for anything. We never deserve credit for anything. Never will. It's all by His grace. It's all by His power. But at the same time, He loves us with an everlasting love. He lifts us up and He empowers us calls us his children, his representatives, gives us the ability to do justice, to do what is just and right and good, pure and holy, according to his word. To be able to be forgiving, to be able to be loving and be able to be merciful and kind, even to those that are beating us by his power, by his grace, by his transformation. And to continually walk humbly before him. That's what he calls. That's all he has. And he reminds us with that by reminding us of how he delivered us out of Egypt. Remember I took you out of Egypt. And remember what Balak said and remember what Balaam responded. That's what he tells us in the lead up to this. Remember Balak and Balaam could not curse you when you were doing justly, when you were loving mercy, when you were walking humbly with God. But once we turned in sin, the curses naturally came. The plague comes. Remembering God's deliverance. Remembering God's power. Dependent on Him. That's what he wants. We can complain, God, what have you done and where have you been? We can testify against him. Or you can testify, look at what I've done for you. I've sent my son. I've delivered you out of bondage. I've blessed you. I've given you the power to do what's right. And when you're doing what's right, blessings come. And nobody can curse you. The devil can't curse you. No one can curse us. doesn't mean bad things won't happen. No one will be able to curse us. We're walking with the Lord. And by His grace, we're doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with Him.
And that's what he expects. That's what he wants. That's what he requires. And so as we pray, if you're in bondage in some situation, some sin in your life, some situation, bondage to some debt, financial debt or some other debt, bound up because of some decision you made. Remember, God delivered us out of Egypt. He'll deliver you out of this as well. Someone's trying to curse you. Someone's plotting against you. Someone's talking badly about you. Someone's trying to get you fired or get you evicted or get you moved out of the neighborhood or out of the house. Someone's pressuring you. Someone's trying to curse you. Trust in the Lord. And if there's any area in your life that you're not doing justly, that you're not doing according to God's word, the moment when we pray, ask the Lord to transform your heart. If there's anyone that you're not showing mercy to and not loving mercy towards, Anyone you're angry at, anyone you haven't forgiven, ask God to give you his grace and his forgiveness. And if there's any area in your life where you're not walking dependent upon him, any spirit of pride in any shape or form, surrender it before him. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Thank you for showing your plan for us. Thank you for showing us what is good and what is right and what you expect of us. And thank you, Lord, that it's by your grace we are able to do that. Thank you for forgiving us and thank you for cleansing us and thank you for taking our carnal nature and destroying it. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for defending us. Thank you for your deliverance. Give us the power to do what's right. Give us the heart that loves mercy. Give us the mind and the feet that walk humbly before you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.